Uh, we can turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 15 this morning. The uh, title of our message is How to Get Ready for the End. Last week it was Get Ready for the End. We didn't quite make it through everything, so today we'll have kind of the, the application, if you will, of this passage. So we'll see when, when we make it to the, to the end, how to get ready for the end that is rapidly approaching. As I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, uh, they're really, I have a hard time looking at any current event that doesn't remind me of the fact that the end is drawing very closely. Uh, and it's exactly what the Bible kind of says it's going, going to be. Uh, the world is is desperately seeking peace. We saw some articles about that this morning. Uh, that the world the world desperately wants someone to come along who's going to solve our solve our problems. We saw that in Revelation. That's exactly what the Bible says is going to take place at the beginning of the tribulation. That there's going to be kind of a uh, pseudo peace, if you will, that isn't going to last long. Uh, Russia, Iran, and Turkey are building a coalition together that is uh, pretty obvious if you're paying attention to world events. The Bible talks about uh, those three nations invading the nation of Israel in the end times in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, the church, Christendom, if you will, is in just complete chaos when we look at the church as a, as a whole. Never has church attendance been lower than it is uh, in America, than it is today. Uh, Europe is they're a few years ahead of us. If you want to see what America is going to look like in 20 years, look at the church in Europe. That's probably somewhat, if, if the Lord tarries that long, that's what it's going to look like here. Uh, there are still good churches, obviously. Hopefully we think that Flushing Bible Church is a good church. There are, there are still quite a few like us out there. But in the most, for as uh, looking at a general scheme of things, uh, the churches are either apostate or headed that way, just as it is prophesied will take place by Paul in the New Testament. Uh, perhaps the most startling thing that ought to get our attention that probably is old news now uh, that shows that we are close to the end is that there is a nation called Israel and there are Jewish people living in the land that God promised they would live in. The Bible very clearly predicts, uh, predicts is the wrong word, prophesies, tells us <laughs> that in the end there are going to be Jewish people living in the nation of Israel, in the land of Israel. And before 1948, uh, that was kind of a crazy precept. I mean, people wouldn't have thought that was going to happen. Now they're even making prepar preparations to build a temple. And I can sort of get caught up in the words. And then as I'm singing the song, I thought, well, yeah, he is coming again at any moment to take us to our eternal home. We'll be there for uh, in the neighborhood of seven years, maybe eight, 10, 20, 30 years. I don't know. It'll be temporary. And then we'll come back to the earth with the Lord. And then at the end of the thousand years, that eternal home comes and that's where we will dwell forever. We'll learn about that 
in Revelation 21 and 22. How should we get ready for those events? We'll get just a taste of that this morning. We find ourselves in this portion of Revelation where we are studying the tribulation period. Chapter 6 through 19 is all about the tribulation period, the seven-year period of time that leads up to Christ coming again. Within that uh, tribulation period that's described in those chapters, we find ourselves in the second intermission. Here's a blow-up of that, so you can see that a little better. At any rate, this uh, this second intermission, this second time in between sets of judgments is very crucial for our understanding of not just the book of Revelation, but what's going on in the world and what the world is going to look like during this tribulation period, which helps us today to understand some of the things that are happening in the world, in the direction that we are traveling. So this uh, intermission, if you will, began in chapter 10. It goes through the end of our passage this morning, chapter 15 and verse 8. We saw John's recommissioning. We saw these two witnesses who will uh, live in Jerusalem and they will witness for the Lord during the tribulation period. We saw the seventh trumpet which is actually a look forward to the end of the tribulation when Christ is ruling and reigning again. And why is all of this happening? This is th- these chapters 12, 13, and 14 are just so critical to our understanding of the world and this tribulation period. Chapter 12, we see these visions or signs as John described them sign of a woman who has a baby. We saw that was the nation of Israel. Another sign of this great red dragon that is representative of Satan who is trying to devour the child. And then when he can't do that, he tries to devour the the woman and her children, the nation of Israel, because Satan is opposed to Israel and uh, the nation and the people, because those people are God's chosen people. They are his method through which uh, the scriptures came, through which we can know who God is. We can know about righteousness. We can know about sin and the forgiveness of sin, all through these Jewish people who recorded the things that we find in the Bible for us. And Satan is completely opposed to them. And when this tribulation period begins, he's going to use two people principally. That's Revelation 13, this antichrist world ruler who is going to come on the world stage and this false prophet who is going to deceive people into believing that this antichrist is actually, they want to portray him as the Christ. And personally, I think the nation of Israel is going to believe in him as their Messiah, and that is the, the event that really triggers this entire tribulation period. That's it. That's the straw that breaks the camel's back. There's no going back from that. This is, uh, wrath is going to be poured out on the world and on the nation to get them to the point where they will believe that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, is their Messiah, and he will then come again. 
And we saw in uh, chapter 14 that there's kind of, there is a destiny for believers and unbelievers. And now in verse, or chapter 15, we are uh, seeing these bull judgments be introduced. So last time we really, we made it through the plagues and the beginning part of the praise. We'll uh, review that kind of quickly this morning and then get into the presentation of these angels who are going to pour out these judgments on the world and uh, take away some application from that. So last time we saw these plagues, Revelation 15, 1 says, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last because in them, the wrath of God is finished. This is the third use of that term sign here. We mentioned those, the, the sign of the woman, Israel, the sign of Satan, the dragon who is Satan, uh, opposing Israel and God's plan for the world essentially. And now this final sign are these seven angels who are going to be uh, the conduits through which this final judgment comes to the world. That tells us that this portion of the tribulation period is on par with the nation of Israel in God's plan and Satan who is opposing God's plan in these judgments that are going to be poured out. This is important. In other words, this portion of the tribulation is very important. And uh, we see that in it, the wrath of God is finished. We saw that the seal judgments began the wrath Uh, That was back in Revelation chapter 6 that we spoke of these seal judgments. And then the seventh seal is broken and that unleashes the trumpet judgments. We see there are great differences between the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments, really not even talking about the same uh, events taking place. They're very distinct. An indication that First come the seal judgments, then come the trumpet judgments chronologically, and then we will see that the bowl judgments, now while they are similar to the trumpet judgments, they are still very different, and we'll get into that uh, as we, probably next time as we make our way into Revelation 16 when these bowl judgments are actually poured out. These are sequential series of judgments. First, the seals, then the trumpets, then the bowls are poured out. And all of them, all of this is the wrath of God being poured out. There isn't a a certain time where, oh, now, now it's really bad. So the wrath is starting here. And that, that becomes important for a number of reasons. There are some who would Uh, consider themselves to be, or who are, not even consider, that's not a nice way of putting it, but there are those who are premillennial and pre-tribulational in their beliefs. In other words, uh, the tribulation, the rapture of the church happens before the tribulation begins, and Jesus comes again before the millennium starts or the messianic kingdom begins. That's what we are uh, at Flushing Bible Church, by the way. We believe pre-tribulation and pre-millennial is what the Bible 
the scribes. Now there are those who will see, who believe that, who see some of these judgments as taking place now or that they could happen uh, outside of the tribulation period. And that would be kind of violating this uh, concept that all of these judgments are the wrath of God and the wrath of God is in this context is consigned to a seven-year period as defined in the book of Daniel. That's really the only place where we see that this is a seven-year period of time of special judgment before the kingdom begins. And so these judgments, uh, according to that, cannot happen according to a consistent literal interpretation. They cannot happen outside of that seven-year period. That's not to say that there, there can't be events that are very similar, like big hailstorms or meteors coming or uh, blood moons, eclipses, warfare, peace, uh, these kinds of things, you know, the end of World War II, oh, peace is breaking out all over the world. We, well, now we have a United Nations. Isn't it great? We'll never have another war again. Uh, yeah, uh, that's not the tribulation period uh, happening. And now, of course, there is another school of thought that, oh, well, the rapture is what's known as a pre-wrath Rapture. So the rapture happens before the wrath is poured out, but the wrath doesn't start until these bull judgments, and some even halfway through these bull judgments and these kinds of things. No, uh, the church is uh, exempt from the wrath that is to come. Revelation three ten, First Thessalonians five nine. There's just a number of places that tell us that. But this wrath begins. In Revelation chapter 6, we looked at this last time, uh, that even the, the people of the world recognize this. Revelation six twelve through 17. Uh, and in these bold judgments, the wrath of God is finished. This is the end of the wrath. And uh, we, I believe we'll get more into that uh, later. And so that is the, the sign that John saw in this vision on the island of Patmos or God revealing these things to him. He sees this sign. The end is coming. This is it. These bold judgments are going to finalize the judgment that God has for the world. And it causes those who are in heaven at this time to break into praise. Revelation 15.2 says, And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations." Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name for you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Last time we saw this sea of glass that was mixed with fire, very reminiscent of 
Revelation chapter 4, where we saw the same scene, just this time this fire is mixed in, and Revelation 4, it's just a sea of glass, indicating uh, that the wrath of God is, is now being seen. If you'll remember in Revelation 4, this is before the tribulation period begins, that John is caught up to heaven. And then the wrath starts being poured out in chapter 6, and so now, when we see this same scene, it's mixed with the, with the fire and the sea of glass. And then it, it mentions these who are uh, seen, they've been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass, holding the harps of God. This is an indication that these are what we term tribulation saints or people who have believed in Jesus as their Messiah during the tribulation period. This isn't a picture of the church. It's not you and me. Every verse of the Bible isn't about you. It's not about me. Uh, We can take away a a secondary application many times, uh, but this is describing people in the future tribulation who will believe their belief is uh, exemplified or noticed because they didn't take the mark of the beast. That's how faith in God, faith in Christ is going to play out in the future. You're not going to take the mark of the beast. And guess what? The uh, Not taking the mark of the beast doesn't mean that, oh, you can't fly on an airplane or you can't, uh, you can't go in a certain restaurant or you might lose your job. No, taking, not taking the mark of the beast in the tribulation period will lead to death. And the primary means, according to the scriptures, that they're going to kill people is beheading them. And so, again an indication that, no, we're not living in the tribulation period. Uh, COVID is not the fourth seal and these kinds of crazy things that you can see uh, on the internet in various places that ideas that people are having. No, no, that does a giant disservice to the word of God. Quite frankly, when we have these when people are purporting these kinds of ideas that are so radically different from what the scriptures actually say. So losing your job does not equal having your head cut off. And that's what the scriptures say will happen with people refuse to take the mark. These individuals most likely did not take the mark died, and then were transported to heaven. And this is why they are portrayed here as glorifying God, because they they had victory over Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and this marking, physical marking, as we've seen, that will take place. And they break out into a song. Verse 3, they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And we saw that this is probably just one song that is reminiscent of these, uh, uh, that is reminiscent of the deliverance that the Israelites experienced during the time of Moses and uh, the deliverance that we as believers in Christ have received because of what 
he has done for us. Now, the end times are oftentimes compared to uh, the book of Exodus and the deliverance of the Israelites from bondage in Egypt because, well, there are a lot of similarities. Uh, And so it would seem that the people who are primarily Jewish and believers in God who have the Bible during this tribulation period are going to be reminded, oh, this is a lot like what God did for the Israelites in the time of the Exodus. He punished his enemies and miraculously delivered his people in Exodus, the Jewish, uh, the Jewish people. And there are even very similar judgments that take place. They're not exactly the same, but there are similarities like water being turned to blood, uh, giant hailstorms, animals dying. We see uh, animals in the seas dying in the book of Revelation and his people uh, being delivered as a result. God brought uh, boils to the Egyptians. We're going to see something very similar to that in the bowl judgments. We've already seen people being uh, tortured by what we saw as demonic locusts during the trumpet judgments. Well, they, the Israelites were, or the Egyptians were plagued with actual locusts during the Exodus. Uh, there was even a judgment of darkness on the Egyptian people, if you'll remember from the book of Exodus. Uh, We're going to see this in the bold judgments also. So the Israelite faithful, believing, if you will, Jewish people are going to realize, oh, this is a lot like it was in the Exodus. That's why this uh, song of Moses is being mentioned, or Moses is being mentioned, the bondservant of God. Uh, because the judgments were so similar. The difference here is that God is taking the, the world, essentially, and leading it into his kingdom through the judgments of the tribulation, whereas in Exodus, he was taking the Jewish people and leading them into the promised land. And then we can also see the reasons for their praise. It kind of comes out in their, the words that they're saying, why they're worshiping God in this case, which is, which is a, uh, a great indicator of how we should worship God. We should worship him for the things that he has done in our in our lives. Uh, so much of contemporary worship is about, uh, how sinful we are. <laughs> a lot of it is, is that way. Uh, read the focus is on us rather than the focus being on God. This worship is completely on uh, God. His works and his ways, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations, it says there in verse 3. And we've kind of already seen this uh, same criterion for worship, if you will, or same method of worship. Revelation four eleven, the scene in heaven before the tribulation begins. Uh, they, uh, the beings worship 
God by saying, worthy are are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. Same kind of thing uh, that these people are worshiping God for in Revelation 15. Great and marvelous are your works. Well, one of the most marvel, great and marvelous works that God has done is creating this world around us ex nihilo, from nothing, in six literal 24-hour days, as it's described in Genesis. That's, that's pretty marvelous. <laughs> I, I haven't seen any scientist who can create something out of nothing by the power of his words. That, that can't happen. Only God can do that. Notice, uh, of course, also that they're singing the song of Jesus, Revelation 5, 9. He is worshiped in heaven as well. And they, it says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So these uh, individuals Uh, Righteous and true are your ways, uh, king of the nations, Revelation 15, 3 says. Well, Jesus is qualified to be the king of the nations because he is the one who solved the problem that we're dealing with. Uh, Our problem isn't the politician who happens to be in the White House who, or who is our congressman, that's not our number one problem. Our number one problem isn't the price of gas uh, going up or the price of eggs being up 40%, I think I saw the other day. Uh, and these kinds of uh, ancillary ideas or issues that we are facing in this world. No, our number one problem is sin and the fact that our sin separates us from the holy God. And Jesus Christ came into this world, bore the sins of the world so that we can believe in him and trust in him and have a right relationship with God. And that qualifies him to be the king of the nations because he is the one who lived a perfect life life, like God created Adam to be. God created Adam to rule and to reign over this creation. He couldn't do it, not because uh, he wasn't intellectually sound enough, or he just, he didn't have the right personality to control the world. No, he couldn't, he was disqualified because he sinned against God. Jesus, of course, the eternal son of God did not do that in his lifetime. He was completely faithful and he gave his life for the sins of the world. So God is praised for his works and his, and his ways. He's also praised for his reign and his holiness. Righteous and true are your ways, king of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, it says. And this is, a, a again, a reminder of uh, Revelation uh, 5, 7, his reign and his holiness. He is, since he is holy, like we mentioned, he is able to reign. And Daniel saw 
kind of this entire set of things taking place that we're, that we're looking at here that these people are worshiping God for. That Jesus is qualified to take the kingdom from God the Father, take it as his own, and implement it upon the earth. That's essentially what's happening in the book of Revelation. When we see Jesus taking the scroll in Revelation chapter 5 and beginning to break the seals and unleashing this tribulation, that's what we're seeing. Jesus receiving the kingdom from God and then implementing it upon the earth. Daniel saw it all in one kind of flash, if you will. Daniel 7 in verse 13. Daniel says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days. So God, the son is coming up to God, the father and was presented before him and to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Revelation 5, 7. He, Jesus, came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Jesus came and received the kingdom from God the Father. And then at the end of the tribulation period, as that scroll is broken open by the seals and read and is essentially describing what we're reading, then Jesus will come again at the end when the judgments are finally poured out. Revelation nineteen, fifteen. from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And these people in heaven are able to see this, just the same way that Daniel was, saw Jesus receiving the kingdom, coming, ruling, and reigning. These people can see uh, all of the events that take place in between the receiving of the kingdom and, and him actually implementing it, and it causes them to worship him. Verse 4, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. The natural reaction to seeing truth, holiness, righteousness bound up in one individual who is Jesus Christ causes people to worship him. And this will be true of every single person at some point in time. You will recognize Christ as God, essentially. And if you want to live with God forever, you have this life to do it. That's the, that's the spiritual law that, is, that God created and revealed to us in the scriptures. 
again, like in Sunday school, God created the physical world and all the rules that go along with it. He created the spiritual world and all the rules that go along with it. And one of the the most important spiritual rule to understand is that God grants righteousness on the basis of his grace and not by our good works, not by works. It is received by faith, by trust in what Christ did on our behalf. That's a, that's a spiritual law, just exactly the same as the law of gravity or uh, thermodynamics or whatever law of the universe that you want to consider. Spiritual law, fact is that God gives us righteousness, gives us the forgiveness of our sins that every person on this planet knows that sin is a problem. They may not understand all the details, but they know that sin is wrong. That's why they get nervous when they do wrong things or have to think about whether or not they should do this, that, or the other thing. Because we know God has put it in us to know that we are responsible to our creator and he makes us right with him through faith in Christ, the one who paid the penalty for our sins. And uh, this causes us to worship him, recognize him for who he is. The Bible tells us that one day all people are going to do that. If we want to have eternal life and live with him, we need to make that decision in this life not the next. And uh, if we don't make that decision today, then we are eternally separated from him. Revelation 20, Revelation uh, 14, we've talked about that eternal lake of fire. But notice Isaiah 45, 23 says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. This is God speaking that to me, every knee will bow. Every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him and all who were angry at him will be put to shame in the Lord. All the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Paul touches on uh, much the same theme in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. These people are worshiping God in heaven, and they're saying that all the nations will come and worship before you, verse 4 of Revelation 15, for your righteous acts have been revealed. The people know this wrath is coming from God. Revelation 6, they recognize it's God. We're going to see it again in the bold judgments. They know it's God, but they don't care. They're unwilling to submit to him, unwilling to put their trust in him. They would rather trust in their own line of thinking, or they'd rather trust in the Antichrist than Jesus Christ, and it's going to have very drastic consequences for them. But in the kingdom period, all the nations are going to come and worship before Jesus Christ, because it is obvious that he is the one who is doing this. And this, this uh, praise that we see here is very reminiscent of Jeremiah 10, 
verses 6 through 17, where Jeremiah, we won't take the time to read it this morning, but Jeremiah is, uh, the Lord is revealing through Jeremiah that the people are being punished for their idolatry, and it's kind of a call to come back to the Lord. Well, Israel is going to do the same thing in the future. It's very, uh, it's hard to imagine. But there's, well, like we saw in Revelation 13, there's going to be an image set up of the Antichrist. Well, that's an idol. And they're going to worship it. They're going to uh, think the world is going to worship that image. They're going to worship the Antichrist as if he is God. And they're going to be punished for it. And primarily, they're going to be punished through these bull judgments that are going to be presented in Revelation 15, verses 5 through 8. Notice what it says there. After these things, I looked in the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So the temple in heaven is opened as it is described there in verse five. Uh, this, the wrath, this is an indication again that the wrath is coming from God. This isn't uh, man's wrath or Satan's wrath, the Antichrist's wrath. This is God's wrath being poured out. As we uh, mentioned earlier, Revelation 6, verses 16 through 17 the uh, the kings of the world, the people of the world, recognize this in the the sixth trumpet judgment. Revelation six sixteen. They said to the mountains and to the rocks, "Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? This wrath." began in Revelation 6-1 with the first seal, and now it is being finished in these bull judgments, this incredible uh, wrath that is being poured out. And it is coming from these holy angels. That's what's being described here in verse 6 when it speaks of their clothing being white and clean and the golden sashes and all these kinds of this kind of imagery. This is, uh, these are holy angels, if you will, who are delivering the judgments and they are uh, handed these golden bowls full of the wrath of God. And so now, while in a general sense, the wrath begins at the beginning of the tribulation, this, what I would purport to be the second half of the tribulation is when it's going to get really bad. 
that's when the uh, the tribulation, what I would term uh, personally anyway, as the great tribulation is the second half of this period. And it, it's designated as three and a half years in several places. And some people will get confused and say, well, the tribulation is really only uh, three and a half years. It's not seven years. Where are you getting the seven years from? Well, the seven years comes from Daniel chapter nine, the three and a half years, it's in various places. Uh, Revelation included is describing just the second half of the tribulation period. And that's when the open worship of Satan, the open worship of the Antichrist, and these kinds of events are going to be taking place. And these bold judgments, as we will see in the coming weeks, are uh, when the the temperature, if you will, is taken up a notch or two or even more uh, than that in terms of the judgments. Uh, it's the first half of the tribulation kind of, it's reminiscent. Do you remember the good old days of Bill Clinton being the president or even uh, Barack Obama and some of the things that were happening in the world or uh, we won't be partisan here, George Bush or Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, you, just, you can throw them all in there. And we're thinking, oh, man, uh, at the time, you know, they're taking away our freedoms. This, that, and the other thing is happening. Can you believe how terrible it is? The end must be really close. Uh, along comes 2020. <laughs> yeah, it got taken up a notch or two. It, it's not the... Uh, the good old days anymore. Uh, <laughs> I have in my notes here, Bill Clinton is like having Thomas Jefferson as our president compared to what's going on today. Uh, the second half of this tribulation is going to be unimaginably worse than what the first half of the tribulation is like. That's why Jesus described it as uh, the great tribulation, the second half. If you remember Matthew 24, he describes the abomination of desolation. The setting up of the image in the temple is the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period. We know that for certain. Jesus says after that, Matthew 24, 21, for then after the abomination of desolation, there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. The bold judgments are that second half of the tribulation. That's why in, in uh, kind of the chronology, that's why these, this abomination of desolation, this setting up of the image that we see in Matthew 13 is the midpoint of the tribulation. That's why I kind of fall on the, the side of thinking that these bold judgments encompass the entirety of the second half, the three and a half years of the second portion of the tribulation. So there's three, three or okay, four, four things that we know for certain, according to a consistent, literal interpretation of the Bible, consistent, literal interpretation of the Bible, you will come to the conclusion that the rapture happens before the tribulation. If you don't think that the rapture happens before the tribulation begins, at some point in your interpretive 
method, you are not being consistently literal. And so there are some very good people who don't agree with this idea and who are Christians, who will be in heaven one day, uh, who will be caught up with us to meet the Lord in the air and we can look over and told you, (laughs) I told you, it's the word of God. It's consistent, literal interpretation. This is what you will come to the conclusion of. At some time after that, the second thing that we know for sure is that the tribulation begins with the breaking of this seal. It's not a war. It's not uh, a blood moon or uh, a COVID vaccine or any other. It's not some disease. No, the first, the beginning of the tribulation, the seven-year clock starts to tick when the nation of Israel makes a treaty with the Antichrist that is going to encompass really the entire world. There's going to be some sort of earth-shattering treaty that is signed that people think, ah, peace, we did it. Uh, the Jews can worship on the temple or, you know, what, and, the, and the Muslims aren't mad. <laughs> when that happens, people of the world ought to look out because war is right on the horizon, sealed judgment number two. The, the third thing that we know for certain about the tribulation period is that the, the image of the Antichrist is set up at the midpoint, three and a half years into the tribulation. The fourth thing that we know for certain about the tribulation period is that Jesus comes again at the end. All of that is based, again, on a consistent, literal interpretation of the scriptures. There's no other conclusions that you can come to. So when you read other commentaries or listen to other people who use a consistent, literal interpretation of the Bible and they say the same thing, well, they're saying the same thing because that's the conclusion that you come to. Like if you listen to mathematicians talk about what two plus two is. Every one of them is going to tell you four, because that's, that's what it is. And so, these, uh, the temple in heaven is opened, and these bowls are given to the angels who we've already been introduced to, who have these plagues in their possession, and then they're given the bowls so that they can pour out the uh, judgments upon the world. Now, whether it's a bowl or a vial, it, it's some sort of uh, instrument that the plague can go into that it can be poured out. It's symbolic language uh, either, either way. And so then notice that the temple is filled with the smoke. Uh, there in verse 8, it says, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and his power and no one is able to enter the temple until the seven plagues and the seven of the seven angels were finished. And that, so this smoke, of course, this is something that is very uh, prevalent throughout the Old Testament, this smoke filling the temple, or really the smoke being uh, representative or showing the existence of God being there. And that's the, the importance of the, the 
pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that led the Israelites through the, through the desert to the promised land. That is exemplifying the fact that God is there with them and he's enshrouded, if you will, in this, uh, in this fire or in this smoke, kind of in a way to hide his presence so that people aren't seeing him, but they know that that's where he is. And he is leading them. In that case, I, I believe the Holy Spirit is the one. Exodus 19 and 8, when Moses went up to receive the law, the people saw a great cloud of smoke descend on Mount Sinai, covering it. Only Moses was allowed to go in there. Uh, we also see this in the tabernacle. After the Israelites uh, received the instruction about the tabernacle, how to build it, they did. Exodus 40, verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. At this time, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So not even Moses was allowed to go in uh, at that point in time. First Kings chapter 8, verses 10 through 11, after the Israelites got into the promised land and, and uh, Solomon came along, they were allowed to build the temple when they did, when it was dedicated, 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 10, it happened that when the priests came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. God had specific rules for the temple. God has specific rules for the temple. Uh, and... Uh, as was mentioned before, we're getting to the fall feasts and the, the, the high priest is the only one who was allowed into the holy place. He was only allowed in there one time because that's where God was. Uh, when the temple was dedicated, the presence of the Lord came over that temple so that no one was allowed in there. And I can assure you that no one would have wanted to go into that temple at that point in time. It I most certainly would have led to their demise, just being in the, in the presence of God in that kind of way. Uh, we cannot, we would not be able to survive that. And so this is an exclusion of people. And here in this vision, this, the temple of God in heaven is experiencing the same thing. It's filling with the smoke of the presence of the Lord and no one is able to enter at this point in time. If you remember back to Revelation 5, 8, uh, there was a mention of golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints uh, that are mentioned. And so here we see the uh, golden bowls being handed to the angels and that they are going to use those golden bowls to pour out the wrath. If you remember the tribulation saints are praying for their judgment to be 
uh, or for judgment to be poured out, for justice to be poured out on the world that has uh, persecuted them in such a way. And well, this is this is it. This is the answer to the prayers that is that are that have been made. And so in these bold judgments, we see these prayers finally and fully being answered. And so this smoke, which before was representative of the prayers going up before the Lord, well, the Lord is coming in the smoke and he's going to answer the prayers. Uh, This smoke doesn't allow anybody else into the temple at this point in the tribulation period, the temple in heaven. God is going to answer their prayers and there is no turning back from this point in time. This is going to happen. God is is unapproachable at this point in terms of this wrath coming upon the earth. It's it will happen. It is going to happen. It's moving forward from this point in time. And uh, that ought to be a very sobering experience as this or, uh, a very sobering thing for us to understand as this was written 2000 years ago. Yes, it's describing the future, but it, it shows us the absolute certainty with which these things are going to happen. So what does this tell us for this world today? If at the midpoint of the tribulation, God's Plans and purposes for this world are so certain that he indwells the temple. Essentially, there's really not really much of a reason to pray about this wrath coming to the world or not coming to the world at this point in time. It is going to happen. But what does that tell us about today? As, well, the temple in heaven is not filled with smoke, excluding our prayers, excluding our, uh, our coming before God in terms of this. If you've missed everything that I've said up until now, now is the time to pay attention. The temple is not filled with the smoke. God still cares about our prayers. God still cares about how you and I live in this world. Uh, This doesn't mean that God is somehow changing or that we can keep, if we just all pray hard enough, we can keep the tribulation from happening and everything's going to work out just great for us. No, it is, it's certain to happen, but there is still time. Second Peter three, nine tells us that God desires for every single person on this planet to come to repentance, to come to faith in him. He is long suffering. He is patient. He is kind. He wants us all to trust in him. Now, probably most everybody, if not everybody in here has trusted in Christ, but I assure you that everybody in here knows people who haven't, and he wants us to pray for them. He wants us to be a light for them. He wants us to witness to them. That's how this whole thing works. That's the way God designed it. He doesn't, uh, 
come down and miraculously reveal himself to everyone personally, like we all have visions of God, but no, instead he miraculously reveals himself to others through you and me. That's the miraculous way that he's decided to do it. And there's still time to do that in this world today. And our prayers matter. Otherwise, God wouldn't continually in his word tell us to pray. And as a matter of fact, to pray without ceasing. And that is if there is one thing that our world, uh, that our nation in particular needs, that's much, much, much more important than your or my particular political candidate being elected in 20, the fall here in a couple months or in 2024, something that is far more important than that is that we pray for our nation and our leaders, whoever they may be. First Timothy chapter two, Paul says to Timothy, notice this, first of all, that phrase, man, I, that gets my attention when I see that. First of all, spirit, spiritual life, if you will. First, first thing, first thing of most importance. I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We need to be in prayer for our country, for our leaders, whether we like them or not, whether we voted for them or not. We need to be in prayer for uh, really all levels of government from uh, local all the way up to, to the top. We need to be praying for these people so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And you know what? Sometimes uh, godliness and dignity, uh, not sometimes, all the times, uh, godless godliness and dignity are the most important things. And sometimes the government is against us in living in a godly way and with dignity, but we need to do it anyway and continue to pray for these people so that we can do that so that people can come to salvation. That needs to be our number one priority. God wants all people to be saved you and I are his conduits to bring that truth to other people. And the best way that we can do that is under a system of government that, is, that recognizes the rights of people and these kinds of things that allows us freedom to be able to do that. And that's what we need to be uh, praying for in terms of our leaders and our nation that we can continue to be able to do that. And uh, in a lot of instances, that isn't easy. The government makes it very difficult for people to do that. Even more reason for us to be in prayer. For there is 
Paul goes on, one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. When uh, Paul tells you, reiterates, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. You can probably take that one to the bank. So our prayers matter. God hasn't filled that temple with his presence. He's still accepting our prayers for the world, for our country, and we ought to uh, take advantage of that. Also, our lives matter. Our lives can still have an impact. I don't care what your uh, racial background is. Your life matters. It matters to God, and it matters to the people who are around you. From our scripture reading this morning, Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. There is still time for you to deny ungodliness, uh, to, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the any moment return of Christ to take you to heaven to be in the Father's house with him. Uh, And this needs to be the motivation for us to purify ourselves and be zealous for good deeds. And uh, one of the critiques of some people is, oh man, if you tell people this, if you tell them the motivation is that that Jesus died for you and that he can come again any minute, people are going to do whatever they want. Uh, you gotta, you got to threaten them with hell. <laughs> you got to threaten them with the loss of their salvation. Then they'll really get it together. Well, uh, that would be contrary to what the Bible says. This tells us what our motivation needs to be, the any moment return of Christ. So that temple is still open. God still desires. He desperately desires our prayers for the nation, for ourselves, for our loved ones, it matters. And uh, otherwise, God wouldn't tell us, Jesus wouldn't tell us to be persistent in prayer, to nag him, to continually nag him, to pray always, because that's what he desires for us. Because when we, when we do that, when we pray in that way, we, will, we find our minds shaped to God's mind. And that's the whole point. And of course, our lives matter also. So that is how to get ready for the end. How do we get ready for the end? We recognize that these things are going to happen. They are certain in the future, and we have a limited amount of time to live for him. So may we do it today. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. I thank you so much for the book of Revelation that is truly a blessing to us as we read, hear, and heed the things that are 
written here. I just pray that you would go with us in this week to come. Help us to remember to pray for ourselves, pray for our loved ones, pray for our leaders in our nation as we are in uh, very desperate times in America and in the world in general. And I just pray that you would help us to be a light for you, help us to live for you, understanding that our lives matter to you. They matter to uh, those around us, and they can matter for eternity if we would only be faithful to you and walk by the Spirit who indwells us. I just pray that you would help us to do that in this week to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.